My name is Keith Peters. I am on staff here at Fellowship of Faith, and I'm also an elder here. That's out of the way. Okay, I know you're like, why are we seeing you again? You were just up there. Well, you get to see me again. Um, I want to talk to you today about the spiritual discipline of solitude. The trailer that you just saw, I remember when it came out, I was so stoked. My wife had actually bought me the book a while back, and we read it together. And it's the story of, it's a true story of a young guy just graduated from college, early 20s, who decides, Chris, he decides to go off and just leave everything. He sells everything he owns. He transfers all of his funds to a charity that's in his banking account, and he just disappears into the American wilderness. Doesn't tell his parents. He just, he's gone. And he spends the next two years just wandering. He abandons his car in the Arizona desert. Just all this stuff. And the thing about Chris's journey is he taps into something very true for solitude in the biblical sense. What Chris is going to do in his journey, which ends tragically, is the same goal of solitude that we see in the Bible. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, understand that most of us probably have certain conceptions of what solitude means. If I asked you, which I am, to just conjure in your mind the words that come to you when I say solitude, like the adjectives, the descriptive words, just let that kind of flow, solitude. What comes to mind? What kind of things do you start to associate with it? My guess is that most of us think of solitude in this way. We think of it as rest or peace or spending some time with God. Those things might be accurate in terms of what we want to get out of solitude, but I would argue solitude doesn't look anything like that. I would argue, if you remember last week, Pastor Dave gave us the, uh, the sports analogy, like you're training for a sport. Do you remember this? How all the disciplines are like training for a sport? Evidently, no one was here because I don't see nodding of heads. Oh, some of you were here. Okay, so yeah, um, he gave this analogy. Well, I would say that if solitude were a sport, it would be boxing. It's a fight. Now, I can't really tell you how you're supposed to fight. That would be like your mother trying to show you how to fight. I mean, look at me. Actually, I had the experience with where my mother did try and show me how to fight. I, yeah, you're all pitying me right now, but there was this kid who was picking on me. He was actually a good friend of mine, and he was a bigger kid, even though he was like two years younger than me, and we were close friends. We've known each other our whole lives, and he was just like, you know, kind of jerking me around, and I was tired of it, and I was crying to my mom, like, I can't, what am I supposed to do? You know, I'm like, I'm a scrawny kid. And she's like, well, come on out. And she grabs, the, I remember this so clearly. She grabs this stick and we had these bushes in front of our house. And she's like, if someone's just messing with you, do this. She grabs the stick and she like, she's like, these bushes are them. And you just go, ah! You know how awkward it is to see your mom do that? It scarred me for life. 
See, here's the reality. We all fight differently. You might be the old Irish style, right? Or maybe you put your dukes up a different way. I can't really tell you what solitude looks like in terms of your practices. All I can tell you is that it is a battle. You are going up against the forces of evil. And that's what I want to show you today. Don't get hung up on what you're supposed to do. We have the tools. We have the implements of destruction. You'll see some of them. You can read your Bible. You can pray. You can fast. You know the disciplines. Solitude is just an intense period of training where you enter into the ring and the devil is waiting right there. All the demons are waiting right there to take you on. Now, you might be saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean if I go into solitude, I've like got to beat up on the devil? Yeah. But um, here's the reality. The devil's beating up on you all the time anyway. You need, we need to understand that getting into the ring is just stepping up and saying you're not going to do it. And I'm going to explain how this works in more detail by focusing in on how the Bible describes solitude. Here are the words that you need to associate with solitude. You have your mental caps on right now? Okay. Uh, the first word is solitude, but then the next one is the wilderness or desolate place or lonely places. The, the different translations will draw it out differently. In the Bible, it describes the wilderness as the place where the devil sets up his home. This is where he resides. And when you go into solitude, you're entering into his turf. When you enter his turf, it's a fight. He wants you to stay as far away from there as possible because you know what? The easiest fight to win is what? A forfeit, a no-show. And we know something the devil doesn't know. The, the war's already been won. Satan seems to be uh, in denial about this because he still attacks us, right? But we know Jesus won the war. We have nothing to be afraid of. Now, that doesn't mean the devil's not gonna throw some punches, but he's going to throw punches whether you're in the ring or not. When you enter the ring, you're ready to throw punches too. But it's not your fists that you're flying, it's Christ's. Now, here's how the Bible describes the wilderness, just to prove this point. Uh, here's a passage I'm sure you're all familiar with, Leviticus 16. I know, I don't even have to tell you, right? Um, funny to one person. Uh, <laughs> Leviticus 16 is the Day of Atonement. Oh, Yom Kippur, if that didn't work for you. Okay, now what is the Day of Atonement? The Day of Atonement is where the priest comes, and he's got these two animals. One's a lamb, one's a goat. Forget the lamb, focus on the goat. He puts his hand on the goat, and he just starts to, like, curse the goat. He starts to just, like, unleash all the sins of Israel on this goat. And then he, like, gives it the boot and sends it where? Into the wilderness. Well, isn't that strange that the priest would be unleashing all the sins so that the goat is basically carrying all the sins and it's going into the wilderness? Evidently, the wilderness is where evil sets up shop. The evil, evil resides in the wilderness. That's where it belongs, according to the Bible. If that's not enough proof for you, uh, there's this great passage in Isaiah and if, if this stuff like really like wets your whistle, if you want to know more about this, I encourage you to pick up the deep sheets, which we'll get into more detail on this. But Isaiah has this great passage about Babylon being destroyed. 
And it says that the destruction of Babylon is going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, do you know where Sodom and Gomorrah's actual location geographically is thought to be? Now wilderness, because what happened when God destroyed it? It became a desolate place. And it says that the destruction of Babylon is going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is the greatest part. It says that's where the goat demons dance. Now, you have to read the New Revised Standard Version to get that. Um, Otherwise, it's some kind of tomfoolery. But not my translation, though. Okay, it actually says that. Uh, Satyrs might be a better way to think of it. The Bible describes the wilderness, it describes solitude in this kind of epic battle against the forces of evil. Now, the best way to think of this is to look at Christ's own life. And I want to show you a picture of this with the first, uh, the first verse here. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that's Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, if you, and I encourage you, if you're interested, to turn your Bibles open to Mark 1, and what you'll see is in verse 21, it begins the day before he goes into solitude that morning. The day before, what did Jesus do? Well, let me tell you, and you can look at verse 21 and follow. He goes into the synagogue, it's a Sabbath, and he teaches. Check that off my list. Oh, and then there's a dude that's uh, possessed by a demon. Jesus casts that demon out. And then he goes to Simon Peter's house, and his mom, mother-in-law is sick, Simon Peter's. Jesus wasn't married, okay? Uh, not his mother-in-law, okay? So he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law who's sick. Okay, another thing that he does. Then it says that the whole town of Capernaum lines up outside the door and expects Jesus to do more healings and more casting offs, castings offs of demons, if I can pluralize it all, okay? That's one day. Can I ask you an obvious question? Is Jesus busy? Stink, yeah, he is. That's right. Let me ask you another obvious question. Is Jesus busier than you and me? Stink, yeah, he is, right? When have you preached in a synagogue and cast demons out and healed people of their sicknesses? Maybe if you're a doctor or a nurse, but forget that, okay? You get the point. Jesus is a busy guy, and he's busier than we are. And what does he do the next day after this busy day? Does he go, oh man, that was so rough, I need to sleep in. It says, early in the morning, while it was still dark. You can't get more descriptive than that, really, can you? Unless I put like the 3 a.m. timestamp on it or whatever. So he gets up early, goes off by himself to a desolate place, and there he prayed. If Jesus is busier than we are, busyness is not an excuse to not enter the ring of solitude for the fight. Jesus did it, we need to do it. Pure and simple. Do not let busyness be the excuse that keeps you out of the ring. Busyness is just one of those demons that Jesus throw, or that the devil throws at us to keep us from entering the ring in the first place. It's a, it's a sucker punch, right? If you, if you can just make them think they're too busy for it, they won't enter. Luke 5, 15, 16 says the same thing. Jesus is busy, continuing on, okay? Now, you might be going, okay, okay, okay. That's all good and fine. 
But what about the demon stuff? So Jesus did this solitude thing, but is he actually like fighting the forces of evil or is this just some kind of like meditative, restful, prayerful time where he's just kind of like in some, you know, Buddhist nirvana state? Well, no, he's not in some Buddhist nirvana state. Mark or Matthew 4.1 says this. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wilderness, devil. Do you see it? Now, here's the fun thing about this passage. Most people focus on the Israelites in the wilderness because a lot of the same stuff is happening to Jesus that happened to the Israelites in the wilderness. The temptations are all wilderness wanderings, temptations. But here's the cool thing. Before Jesus goes out into the wilderness, he gets baptized. Who does he get baptized by? John, the Baptist. Appropriate name. Who is John? He's the son of a priest. What does the priest do? It puts its hand on the head of a goat with all the sins of Israel and cast into the wilderness. John puts his hands on Jesus, and then what happens? And the coolest part is when Jesus is coming, John says, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus gets the boot out into the wilderness. He's the scapegoat. Here's what you know, here's how you know if your fighting is successful when you're in the ring. You get to walk away and the other dude doesn't. I'm sure that was a news flash. But think about it. Jesus goes into the wilderness head to head with the devil and who ends up leaving? That's right, the big dog, right, Jesus. He comes in as the scapegoat that's supposed to die. But guess what happens? He actually walks away. That's awesome. That's what we get to do. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus got pummeled. But his fate is a lot better than the devil's. Now, I want to ask you another question. In the Bible, you see Jesus all the time talking about demons, like he knows about them or something, like knows how this kind of spiritual evil forces works. Heaven forbid that he would do that, right? Well, why do you think Jesus knows so much about demons? You might say, well, because he's God. Maybe. But what if it's just because he's getting attacked like you and me by the guy or angel or whatever the thing he is, right? What if he just knows from experience? Devil's a bad dude. Let me tell you how the guy works. He throws sucker punches. He does this. He does that. In Luke 11, he says this about unclean spirits, demons, or whatever, uh, spiritual forces of evil. He says, Jesus, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. What's Jesus saying about solitude? He's saying, don't just think it's about emptying yourself. Don't just think it's about, oh, I just get to relieve myself from all that stress. No, Jesus is saying, if that's all you're doing, all those demons that you're trying to get rid of are just gonna come back with a bunch of other freeloaders to set up shop. You have to put on Christ in its place. 
If you don't put on Christ, those freeloading demons are just kind of come back. The best way to describe this is the, the physical life. Because I don't know if you re- re- realize this, but the physical life and the spiritual life look pretty much the same. I know that feels kind of lame. Like you want the spiritual life to be something like amazing and awesome, not some kind of ordinary experience. But a lot of the spiritual life is ordinary. So consider substance abuse. If you're putting these things into your body, like uh, smoking, alcohol, um, or you know, overeating, those are things that are, are going to hurt your body, right? We can all kind of agree on that. Well, I know a lot of people who have struggled with substance abuse in my family and uh, just friends that I have. And the thing that I find is when they, let's say, quit smoking, they start overeating. Or when they quit drinking, they, stop, they start smoking, Right? They replace one bad habit with another bad habit. Now, it might be that the, the other bad habit is not hurting them as bad, but it's still hurting them. It's a lot better than stopping whatever it is and replacing it with something that's good for you. That's how demons work. That's how the spiritual forces of evil, maybe that's a better way to say it, works. See, we often associate evil and the devil as this some kind of like crazy thing in the New Testament, right? Everyone's like demon-possessed walking around. And Jesus is like casting demons out right and left. And other people are casting demons out right and left. I don't know if it was because Satan learned his lesson or not. But he doesn't seem to work that way typically anymore. He sim- seems to do something a little different. I, wanna, I-, I want to give you an example of how I think this works. This comes from a fictional account by C.S. Lewis uh, called The Screwtape Letters. He creates this narrative, this writing notes back and forth between two demons who are trying to keep this young guy away from God. And in the letters, it refers to God as the enemy. So if you see that word, it's referring to God, actually, because they're trying to keep this guy away from it. Here are a few quotes. It says, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. What is he trying to show us here? He's trying to show us that when you enter solitude, you break the cruise control. You slam on the brakes. You go, no, put them up. Because otherwise, Satan's just trying to hang out there in the, on the sidelines, pretending like you don't even know he's there. And you're getting further and further away. You're getting more and more out of spiritual shape. And then when he's ready, he's going to jump you in the alley. Right? Maybe, you know, you could say jump you in the alley is equivalent to hell. I don't know. But that's kind of what he's giving us the picture of. The other one says, it is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. If all you do is go into solitude to empty your mind, Satan's just ready to put something back in there. God wants you to put on Christ. He wants you to put him on in place of all these things. Now, if solitude is a fight, we need to figure out what kind of coach we want. 
If you're going to go up against Satan in a boxing match, what kind of coach do you want? Do you want a coach that speaks niceties? Looking good. Like some cheerleader cliche, you know, or like uh, something like, uh, go get him, tiger. Right? No. When, when you're going... When you're going up against someone and it's fisticuffs, you want a coach who's like pumping you up, who's like preparing you for the battle. You want Mickey Goldmill. You know what I'm talking about? Mickey Goldmill, Rocky's coach. Remember that guy, scrawny old man with squint eye? He's grit and gravel and gonads, right? All those great G words that you can throw in there. That's what Mickey Goldmill is. Mickey Goldmill comes and he's like, you know, you want Mickey Goldmill, you don't want Oprah. You're ready to go in. God's given you, he's like, come on, you can, you know. I want to do a little prophetic theater with you this morning. I want you to imagine that solitude actually sounds more like this. No matter what happens in the battle, Jesus has won the war. Get into the fight. But I thought the war was over. Get into the fight. Otherwise, you may become a casualty of an already won war. Get into the fight. Because in your solitude, God's given you his holy armor. That's what solitude coach pump song sound like. When you're considering going into solitude, you want to have God ready right there. You want God to be honest with you. You want God to build you up. You don't want some kind of false hope. You have the true hope of Christ. Put Christ on, go in. Go in to read your Bible. Go in to pray. Go in to fast. Go in to find that rest if you can find it. But just be aware that where you're going to find those things, Satan is ready right there to just beat you down every time, make you think you're just not good enough. You just can't do it. It's not about you. It's about the war that's already been won in Christ, and he's right there to throw punches. Your hands are his hands. You don't have to worry. The pierce marks are right there. They were for you. That's what you have to, that's what you have to get in your mind. There's this great passage in Ephesians where Paul talks about what the fight is that we're going up against. He says, finally, be strong in the who, the Lord, and in the strength of whose might, his might. This isn't about you, but the battle is. This isn't about you, but the battle for you is. Put on the whole armor of God. Anytime you see something armor-like in this passage, just put it in its place, put on Christ. Pretty much through the whole thing, you can just turn it and say you're putting on Christ. 
Paul says putting on Christ looks like the whole armor of God, that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a fight. That's what solitude is. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, put on Christ, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, put on Christ, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, put on Christ, and as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Guess what? Put on Christ. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. What are you doing in solitude? You're doing that. You're praying. You've got your sword of the spirit. You've got the word of God. I don't know whether you're going in with jujitsu or kung fu. I don't know what your fight style is, but I do know that God's given you one. He's given you all the tools. I don't know how you swing the sword of the spirit, but you gotta swing it. But swing it against the devil. Swing it against the evil. It's funny that in Jesus' last hours on earth, he comes before us in a meal and he says, take and eat, this is my body shed for you. Take and drink, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. What happened at that meal? Jesus was betrayed. Who's right there as Jesus is trying to set up all of this great stuff for us? Satan enters Judas Iscariot. Jesus is being betrayed. The fight is on. What happens when Jesus leaves this meal? He goes to Gethsemane, and the fight is on. Satan is just throwing punch after punch. Jesus goes off by himself and prays. That's what this meal is. That's what is happening. Jesus is saying, I'm fighting with you. I'm fighting for you. I've won the war. Now, get in the ring. Don't worry. Get in the ring. Feel the adrenaline. Feel the rush. God is right there fighting for you, punch after punch. He's standing before you, taking every hit and jab Satan can throw. He did it then, and he's still doing it. Put him on. Put him on. Everybody stand up. We're going to say together the words of the Apostles' Creed, and then... We're going to come and we're going to join in this meal that's surrounded by betrayal and spiritual attack. And as you come to the table, remember, Christ is there. Put him on. Put him in. Eat his body. Eat his blood.